Good morning. Great to be with you again this morning. I want to start off, first of all, by saying to all the gentlemen out there who are dads, happy Father's Day. <laughs> we celebrate you today. Uh, I'm a dad. I'm a granddad. I know. It's hard to believe. Uh, so happy Father's Day. Uh, we really want to encourage you to uh, celebrate this day, and I'm sure you will with your family and friends. So that's great for you and for me and for all of us. Happy Father's Day. I also want to welcome all of you who are visiting with us this morning from whether it's uh, the Rock Church here in Squamish, uh, Sea to Sky, across BC, even people from across Canada, we welcome you. My name is Glenn, uh, by the way, one of the pastor's uh, elders here at the Rock Church. If we haven't met, great to be with you. Um, as I was preparing for this week, I want to start off by mentioning this to you this morning. Uh, there's been a lot on my heart, a lot on my heart last week, last couple of weeks, uh, and I'm sure many of yours as well. And therefore, I was thinking uh, of doing this this morning, or this evening I'm doing it, and this morning you're watching, and thinking, you know, maybe I need to do this differently. You know, maybe get a, like a round table and have uh, my notes and my Bible and a cup of coffee, you know, just a little bit more of a relaxed format. And uh, yeah, so, so maybe more casual, maybe even record at home outside in the backyard and, and just do it differently. I felt that way for a couple of reasons I want to share with you this morning as we begin. First, and listen, I know it's not about me and how I feel, uh, but I'm finding it honestly every week doing this for three and a half months now harder and harder. It, it, basically, what's happening right now is it's Friday night. I know you're watching on Saturday, Sunday morning, uh, and there's no one here. I'm here by myself, and there's a camera that I'm looking at, that you're looking into on your TV or your laptop, and I'm preaching this sermon to you, and for you and for us as a church. And honestly, the difficulty is, the challenge is, and why I find it hard is, is that especially today when there's this message and this text that I believe God has brought us to and put on my heart, that I just really wish that we could see each other, so that we could be... Uh, engaged with one another, you know, looking in each other's eyes, um, even the nonverbal communication that takes place when, when someone's speaking and you're looking and I can see you and, and we, can, we can understand how each other feels, but it's difficult through this medium this morning. So I'm just suggesting to you, and I know this, that if it's hard for me, I, I acknowledge it's also hard for you. You're at home, which is maybe comfortable, but you're watching on, a, again, a laptop, a phone, or your TV, and it's it's a different medium. It's not the same thing. Secondly, however, and especially, I think, because of all that's been going on in our, in our world today, especially the last three months with COVID-19, and then the last few weeks with all the racial tension and division in America in particular, I really wanted to find a way this morning, I was thinking, where we could do this different. If it was at all possible to be able to break through this medium and be able to uh, have you hear my heart, and uh, yeah, for us to be able to connect differently. And so I, I, I was thinking about something that was said uh, in our missional community group a couple of weeks ago. Someone brought up um, that the first couple of parables in Luke chapter 18, it was remarkable to them how relevant they were, the teachings of Jesus, to what was going on in our world, like right now. And, and I remember saying in our community group to some people, I was like, yeah, listen, it, it is amazing because... The bottom line is, I didn't pick those texts. They picked us, right? And so I just want to suggest to you today, with this text today, same thing. Exactly the same thing. This is incredibly relevant to today. 
I hope to show you. So your sermon title for today is The Sovereign Plan of God Unfolds. Let me read our text from Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34 for you, and then I will pray one more time and we will we'll have a look at this today together. Beginning in verse 31, Luke records this. And taking the twelve, he, Jesus, said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your sovereign plans that are continuing to unfold to this day and will continue to unfold. We are so grateful that you've thought this all through and that you know what you're doing. Lord Jesus, thank you for this conversation that you had with your apostles. Thank you that we can listen in. Holy Spirit, would you instruct us? Would you take the thoughts, the things that you put on my heart related to our day and show us how, how this was impacting them in that day and how we can learn from this even today? So I pray these things in your worthy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So I want to start off with, with you this morning, and I want to talk about politics. <laughs> I know. So I've got your attention, right? Now, if any of you know me, know me at all, you will know that since we planted the church uh, 10 or 11 years ago, uh, I've made it a policy where I, I don't talk about politics from here for sure on Sundays from the pulpit, music stand, or, or in the church. Uh, people come to me during federal elections in Canada and they say like, hey, I'm a little, I don't know, what do you think? Should we vote for these people or this, this party or whatever? And I'm like, hmm, not going to talk about it. And, and um, I'm not alone. Many, many, many pastors in Canada and even the United States in the past 10, 15 years especially have come to the conclusion that it's not the right thing to do. We should not be doing that as pastors, taking sides and promoting one party over the other um, literally bringing candidates up on stage and saying, here, vote for this guy. No, we shouldn't. And, and in fact, I want to suggest to you, love America, love the United States, really do. But really what's going on there, especially in the last 10, 20, 30 years, and the, the problems that they're having are, in my opinion, due to the church actually taking sides, picking and promoting candidates. Now, I could say more, but I will stop there on that point and continue. So all to say this related to our subject for today. I want to take us back as happy or painful of a situation it might have been for you to the last U.S. federal election. I want to suggest it was, without doubt, one of the most unusual and divisive campaigns most people can ever remember. So let's remember, it was, it was following on from two terms, eight years with Barack Obama as President of the United States. And so for at least 50% of the population or more that voted for him, it was an awesome eight years, right? Then I still remember this as the picture. 
And, and I'm a news junkie and have followed politics in detail uh, since the 60s with John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy when they were running. I mean, I was just a young teenage boy and watching it then. And, and I've been watching politics and, and, and especially U.S. politics, but world politics from that day with quite a bit of uh, interest and fascination, quite frankly. But I remember on that night that as the results were coming in, I was watching intently. For months, it was really clear to everyone, in the media at least, and certainly the supporter, her supporters, that finally, finally a woman, Hillary Clinton, would succeed Barack Obama as president, as president of the United States. So weeks earlier, I began, however, telling friends, based on my understanding of media and communications, that I had a really, really bad feeling that they were going to be disappointed. Well, her campaign headquarters on that night were actually in a grand ballroom, and there was a glass ceiling. It was intentional. It was a picture, and it was about that this glass ceiling was finally, finally going to be shattered. A woman at last would become president of the United States. And then as I'm watching the news channels flipping back and forth between CNN, ABC, Fox News, just, just to get different perspectives, of course, on what they were all perceiving and seeing. I noticed one thing within that crowd that were waiting for Hillary and the victory. Well, what I noticed was they began to appear fearful. I mean, shock was showing up as the other candidate was winning state after state. And, and it turned from, from shock to, as they were waiting to crown Hillary, to people beginning to actually sit down and begin to worry and fear about what they were seeing and the results. And then, frankly, I remember seeing that it was over, the election results were called, and people started crying, crying. Well, soon after that, what I still feel was an extremely surprised Donald Trump walked on stage as the next president of the United States. And the rest, as they say, is history. So why do I share that with you? Well, for a few reasons, actually. But first of all, to ask this. Did you see that coming? Did you even see that coming at all? Did anyone? So let's put all conspiracy theories aside for a second because we need to focus on this, I believe. What you and I, what our world is seeing today, and that includes what's going on not only in the U.S. but in England with Brexit, is that one thing should be absolutely clear to everyone at this point. Not only did most people not see that coming, right, at that time, but almost, it's almost like there was no stopping it. It was, it's almost like we, we had no control over it or people had no control over those results. And you know what I feel today? I think we all feel that way. All of us. COVID, politics, race, division. Feels like there's no control. So I, I don't think I'd be going out on a limb to suggest this to you, that since the day Donald Trump was elected president, everyone who is from the liberal, progressive, and democratic side, has been literally freaking out, right? And, and please hear me, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be. I mean, if you hold to those values and those, those positions and that worldview, of course you would be, right? But the truth is, and here's the point, that's exactly what those 
who weren't exactly happy about Barack Obama's eight years as President of the United States, had been doing for eight years. They'd been freaking out. Do you remember that? <laughs> remember the news and the cycle that was going on? So now the big question is this for us. Why ultimately were either of the sides of the political and cultural spectrum freaking out then and to this day? One reason. Clashing worldviews. That's why. Two, opposite it seems. Polar opposite and divisive worldviews clashing. So what we need to appreciate at least is that both of these, I think at this time, is that both of these worldviews believe in their heart of hearts, deep in their very being, that their worldview will lead to human flourishing to make America great or great again and not the other. They believe that deep in their hearts. So many of those who would define themselves as progressive thought that finally, after eight years with Barack, it's just going to continue. We, we've, we're evolving and we're moving toward this utopian view where, where this, this utopia, quite frankly, where not only can we have our lattes, you know, uh, pulled with amazing art on them, you know, and, 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 put, and from the most seasoned and wonderful baristas in, in a, an eclectic, different, you know, kind of, you know, even, uh, you know, like, I don't know what you would call it, like the, just the art on the walls, you know, like the, the kind of environments. I mean, finally, we're getting close to this utopian position, you know, and, and we can all start singing together, which people do. John Lennon's song, Imagine, which is the new Kumbaya, right? And then on the other hand, there is the conservative or religious right. Well, they see it much differently, don't they? They, they, they believe that law and order, the right to bear arms, and socially conservative views on gender and abortion and immigration are what we need to bring us back from the brink of destruction. That's their worldview. And so here's the truth that I want to propose to you this morning about both of those worldviews, both of them, both of them. Both of these worldviews want the benefits of the kingdom without the king. Let me repeat that for you. Both of these worldviews want the benefits of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, without the king. And so where are we then? Where are we then? Well, we're in a, a cycle of rinse and repeat. That's where we're at. Where we're at. Replace one failed worldview with the other after each election cycle. And the result today is that we're all feeling like, like we don't understand what's going on anymore. We're all now freaking out. And, and, and we're freaking out because we can't honestly see a way forward to a day when we will all truly be one. That, that's the ideal, isn't it? Isn't that the plan? Isn't that the goal, that we would all become one? It should be. John Lennon thought so. I mean, if you, if you remember the lyrics to his song, he thought so. But of course, he also thought this. He thought that the way to get there was to imagine that there was no heaven above or hell below us. The kingdom without the king. So what's the answer? What's the answer? Can you honestly see a way to unite everyone in our world today? In America today? In Canada today? Can you? 
And if you can't, and yet you're still going to go and promote and protest and strive to see either worldview become dominant in our world and culture today, well then let me tell you, as a guy who's seen this movie play out on several cycles, let me just suggest this to you. It is actually only going to get worse. It's not going to end. It's just going to be rinse and repeat, cycle and cycle. And so listen, this may shock some of you. It shocked me as I thought about it this week and I was actually listening to some others talk about this. But have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, that is exactly what must happen before the Spirit of God will move again and another great awakening and revival comes? Or before the King returns? Good news, Christian. (laughs) You know, we've been saying this throughout the Gospel of Luke. We've been reading about it, seeing Jesus teach us about it for a while now as we've been going through Luke. We have a king, and his kingdom is not of this world. But we are to go as his children and as his servants in his kingdom that is here now but not yet fully realized. We are to go and represent our king whose kingdom has arrived and is breaking out all over the world. And how are we supposed to do that? Well, it is supposed to be in and through us that we do it. You and I, those who profess to be his disciples, servants of our king. However, in order to accomplish that, and please hear me on this, we cannot be one with the world. We actually cannot be one with either of those worldviews. Our allegiance must be to him, to our king and him alone to no other worldly king, kingdom, or worldview. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, do you remember that? Jesus praying for you and for me. And and he's praying in a future tense back as he's praying to the Father about us, right? And he prayed to the Father and he said these words. He said, I have given them your word. That's what instructs us on how what we're to do today. He said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And and from this verse and a few others, some have paraphrased it and put it together in a saying that we all know, and that saying is, be in the world, but not of the world. Now, unfortunately, some have taken that the wrong way. You know, the world's unclean. You don't want to go out there and and become unclean. No, that's not what it means. It means not one with the worldview and philosophy of the world. So we should also know this with total certainty then. Conviction and assurance. More good news. One day, under our Lord and King, and according to His plan of redemption and restoration, we will all be one. It's recorded in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. We've seen this a few times, actually, in the last month or two, where Jesus tells John, or it's been revealed by an angel to John, that at the coming of Jesus, when He comes to fully, fully bring His kingdom to bear upon this world, it it says that a great multitude that no one could number of believers, of people who are born again, have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, will be there. And it says in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, from every nation, from every tribe, and peoples, and languages. 
That's the sovereign plan of God, and that, I would hope, is what we all want and certainly what we all need. So that's the plan, and it will happen for sure, just not the way the world thinks it will. And so now I'm thinking at this point, you're probably thinking, okay, (laughs) can't possibly wait to see how Glenn, pastor, how in the world he's going to tie all of this preamble to today's text. Well, read the last verse with me. Verse 34 says this, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. So, look, we've been through this. It's chapter 18. Jesus has predicted his death and his resurrection at least three times fully, almost like what he said today. Uh, It's a total of nine times that he's alluded to it, right, so far in the gospel. And it also demonstrates or, or reveals to us in this verse 34 what their worldview actually is. There were in that day, just like today, primarily two worldviews. There was the religious worldview that believed in a divine God or agency, a view that was predominantly waiting for a savior, a messiah, a king who would bring the kingdom that they expected and that they wanted and believed, listen, would be best for them, right? That would best be, from their perspective, the best plan would be for this king to come, to conquer the heathen, the great unclean, the great unwashed, and, and frankly, do away with them. We would be fine with that. That would be their view on how to make the world one. But that was the king that they were looking for. Of course, the competing worldview at that time was the dominant worldview and was, of course, being played by the oppressive and powerful Roman regime. So the disciples, all Jewish at the time, were still expecting a Messiah and a king who was, who was going to come, and he would overthrow these guys, right? They were, they were just terrible, these evil Romans. And yes, he would be their king, but also he would usher, usher in a kingdom where, listen, they would be the privileged. They're the chosen ones, not these Gentiles, these Romans. So we see that played out often, actually, in the Gospels where the boys, some of the apostles are like, hey, Jesus, which one of us is going to be uh, on your left hand, your right hand, you know? Like, they, they still had this dominant hierarchical mindset to what the kingdom was going to look like and what their place in that kingdom might be. And so the big idea here is that they, they hear Jesus speaking about going to Jerusalem And instead of walking into the temple and, yeah, turning the tables all over again and and grabbing a scepter and knocking it and and, lightning angels and and declaring himself king of the world and taking over not only the temple but also, you know, the evil Romans. Instead, Jesus says he's going to be handed over to the Romans and treated terribly? Terribly? Certainly not the way a king should be treated. And their response is, how in the world? Jesus, is that going to accomplish the redemption and restoration of the world? Same today. The same today. So now let's look at what Jesus said will happen and why it must happen and what the result will be. Verse 31 says this, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything, 
that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So it's important to note that Jesus took the 12 aside. He took the 12 men, the apostles that were handpicked by Him after praying to the Heavenly Father to who these men should be. He takes them aside. And so it's interesting. These are the apostles, of course, who would be the foundation of the church. But why would He do that, do you think? Why, is, why would He do that? Why wouldn't He? I mean, there's probably at least 30, 40, 50 people at that point, men and women, who are following Him, who you know, are probably going to stick with Him until the end, although most are going to pull away a little bit during the crucifixion, but 120 are going to be there on the day uh, that he resurrects up in that room, hiding for fear of the Jews. And like, why, why not more of the people? I mean, Jesus not only knew that Judas would betray him, but he also knew that many would abandon him in over the next few weeks and months before the crucifixion. And, and, and so he knew that was ahead, but he also knew this. He also knew that one day all of this would be revealed to them. All of this would be revealed to them. They would fully understand, and Jesus, Jesus also understood that he could begin the process of changing the world, of, his, of establishing his kingdom with just 11 faithful men who were nobodies in the eyes of the world, of course, at that time. Throughout Scripture and to this day, we see a picture of this, a faithful remnant. That's all Jesus needs a faithful remnant of men and women is all he needs. And I think that should be a, a huge lesson, lesson for us today as the church. We, we, this relatively small little local church here in Squamish at the Rock, you know, can be used if we, if we actually are a faithful remnant. We can be used mightily by Jesus to build his church and be a part of the expansion of his kingdom if, again, we are prepared to be a faithful Remnant. Remnants aren't loved in this world and culture. You know that, right? They are, as Jesus said in 17 of John, what? Yeah, not liked very much. So now look at what Jesus tells them. The tense in the words that he uses are very significant. He says, we are going. <laughs> like, he doesn't say, look, I'm going and you can come along if you want. We are going, are, definite. Everything that is written about the Son of Man, will be accomplished. So we could spend a lot of time on this, but for today, let's highlight this and, and, and see that this. Look, the sovereign plan of God has been in place since the foundation of the world, since before the foundation of the world. It has. The whole Old Testament is the story of a God who promised re to redeem His rebellious people beginning in Genesis chapter 3, and from that point on, He's been spelling out His plan in very great detail through the prophets, and they were all, all of the prophets, all of the prophecies were pointing to Jesus, this Son of Man, and they've been pointing to who He is and what He must do and will do. Further, they've been telling the Jewish people that this Son of Man would be the Savior, listen, of the whole world, Jew and Gentile. That too was always the plan. They continually forgot about that, however. So listen, I think the lesson here is this. Jesus is not only reminding them what the prophets foretold, but He also is prophesying in advance what will literally happen. They then would, 
after his resurrection and ascension, have no doubt in their minds what the mission and plan was, right? He'd been telling them what was going to happen, and it did, and, and, and his plan for the eventual redemption and restoration of all things, they would now know it with certainty. Were they a faithful remnant? Did the 120 who were present on the day of Pentecost remain faithful to the mission and plan of God? Friends, you and I are here today, yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but also largely because of the fact that they did remain faithful. And if you think things are tough today, come on, we've been through this. Things were really, really, really brutally oppressive and unjust for them in those days. So did did they seem to care much about that oppression and hateful world around them? Well, I'm sure like you and I, they didn't like it very much at all. But they remained faithful and they remained on mission. So friends, let me ask you this. This is important for you and I today. Do you honestly believe and trust that Jesus will build his church? He said, I will build my church. It's what we, why we called our, our church the name that we did, The Rock. I will build my church, he says in Matthew 16, 18. Do you believe that? That he will expand his kingdom and in significant ways cause his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven even today? And then that one day, maybe one day very soon, Establish his perfect kingdom forever? Do you believe that? Well, he promised he would. He promised he would. He goes on when he's instructing his disciples and speaking to them and says this about the Son of Man. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Been treated that way lately? Why not? And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. So all of these horrible and hateful things did happen to Jesus, didn't they? They did murder him, right? They murdered him. And again, please these, see these words, will be delivered, will be mocked, will be treated shamefully and spit upon. And to add insult to injury, they will flog him and they will kill him. Certainty, right? So let me ask you another question. Was Jesus just prophesying about these things, uh, about something that he had no control over? Was, was he just like, okay, I, I've had a vision about what's going to happen to me, can't really stop it, didn't really know this was coming, but was that what was going on? Obviously not. That's neither the language that's used here nor the totality of the teaching of Scripture. On the day of Pentecost, again, Peter, who is now full of the Holy Spirit, you know the guy who denied him three times (laughs) to a little 14-year-old Jewish girl one time? The Holy Spirit comes upon him and he truly now gets it and he says in his sermon, right, in Acts 2.23, says this, this Jesus delivered up according to the, look at these words, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Oh yes, we all played a part in this, but it was God's sovereign plan, not what they expected nor thought would happen and produce the best result ever, but was and is His perfect plan for our salvation. 
and restoration to right relationship with Him. And listen, with each other. This had to happen so that we all could be one. So the final words of verse 33 are also said with certainty. On the third day, He will rise. They didn't see that coming. He'd said it repeatedly at least three times that it would happen. But he said it would happen, it was part of the plan, and it most certainly did happen. And again, we wouldn't be here today if, if that wasn't true. Because they saw him, they spent 40 days with him, he then ascended, the Holy Spirit came to usher in the beginning of the church and this church age, and they, for the most part, most of them went to their death defending the truth of his resurrection. So that changed everything, didn't it? His death, burial, and resurrection changed everything. Victory over sin, death, and evil was now accomplished, and fully so. Salvation for all was now available, not on the basis of your performance, of your religious ability and keeping of laws and rules, but solely on what Jesus has done. And then, since the day of Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God has been expanding as men and women trust in Jesus. In Jesus. Not some worldview or some worldly king. They then would, after his resurrection and ascension, have no doubt about these things. No doubt in their minds about what the mission and the plan was. They, they rarely deviated from it because it was just so clear. And what this plan is for the eventual restoration of all things. So were they a faithful remnant as you look back? Did the 120 who were present on the day of Pentecost remain faithful to the mission and plan? And again, as I've said a few times now, you and I are here as a result of that. It changed everything. It really, really did. And so that's what, that, what the result is. After the day of Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit has been expanding in Jesus Christ alone for the salvation, this is the key. They became members. All of them became members of the King of God where we are all one. And that's what we are to be today, church. It's, it, what we are to be today, I've said this before as a little bit of an illustration, we are to be a, a movie trailer of the kingdom to come, the completed and perfected kingdom of God. Today we are one, united, and we're to model this, this, uh, this, this look, this kingdom look, this kingdom movie trailer to this confused and hurting world, how men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe can live together, all equal in value and worth before God and before men. It's one of the hearts that we had when we came here to plant this church is that we would be every nation, tongue, and tribe, that we would have First Nations people as part of our church. We would have Asian people, people of color, uh, people from all over the world as part of our church. And you know what? Not perfectly today, but we do for the most part. We are a church like that. So let's be clear and hear and see this rightly. No other worldview or philosophy of human invention or assertion will ever do this. It's impossible, actually. It's impossible without the king. Rinse and repeat is all that can be hoped for. So let me encourage us all, church. This cultural moment that we're living in today is very discouraging. I, I haven't seen anything like this since the civil rights wars and battles of the 60s. If we're not careful, as Jesus told in the beginning of chapter 18, it would be possible that we might lose heart. So we must always pray. 
Let me encourage you this way also. Let me encourage you in these days, yes, acknowledge if necessary how those who claim to be members of the kingdom of God, when and if necessary, acknowledge how those who claim to be members of the kingdom of God, who claim to know Jesus, but committed despicable and murderous acts against our First Nations people, against men and women of color, whether black, white, pardon me, black, brown, or yellow, yes, acknowledge it. And if you've participated in any of these things, yes, repent. Yes. But my friends, may I also encourage you with this. Let's choose together to be the church, to be the faithful remnant in our own backyard first of all. Let us further the only worldview that will really, truly have any chance whatsoever of making us all one. And that's the worldview of the kingdom of God. So how might we do that going forward? Well, today's not only Father's Day. Do you know what other day today is? Today is National Indigenous Peoples Day. I didn't know that a few weeks ago, and I just saw it on my calendar in the last week or two. And that made me think. <laughs> so this past week, I reached out to the leadership of Squamish Nation. Um, I had a wonderful conversation uh, with a woman who is the program coordinator for the elders of Squamish Nation. Uh, a member of our church family had put us together, had arranged that conversation, um, and uh, she called me. I explained to her that our church family has had some relationship with some First Nations people who've become part of our church and been baptized as part of our church, that we were, we were part of uh, the branding here in Squamish, some of us at the Rock Church, and, and, and uh, really, really, really wanted to make sure that we acknowledged and honored uh, our First Nations people here in Squamish with the Squamish logo, the eye of the creator. And, and, I, and I said to her, but I, I've got to be honest with you, in, in the last week, I've been speaking to some people in our church, and, and really, I just I need to be honest with you, we've not done enough. There was silence on the phone for a second, and her response was so gracious. She thanked me. She thanked me for the call and assured me that once COVID was behind us, that she would arrange for an opportunity for me or for any of us to get together with some of the elders, that they would love that. Can I also encourage you, I put up on Facebook uh, yesterday some links to, because there is COVID, today they would be having a celebration, either at Totem Hall or at Oseum, and they, they're not having that today, but they want to welcome us to, to celebrate online and to see some of the things that they're celebrating. So I would encourage you to check that out. Friends, let me also, in conclusion, just ask this about what we can do going forward. Let's ask this question. Who are the downtrodden in Squamish? Who are the poor, the widowed, the isolated? Who are our, our very neighbors here in Squamish who are being oppressed or experiencing injustice? Let's pray and ask the Lord to show us who they are, to bring us in, them into our, across our path that we might know who they are, and let's go to them. Let's walk with them. Let's listen to them. Let's advocate for them. Let's help them in whatever way we can. And at the same time, church, let's watch and see what Jesus will do. Pray with me, would you?
Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your ongoing instruction and teaching to the apostles and to the disciples in that day and for us today, Holy Spirit, thank you for teaching us. Lord, I pray. I pray for our church family today. I pray for the church, local and global, Lord, that we would understand that we have no other king. And that we would just because, and, and because we know that it, that it also would not stop us from wanting to go into this world and help and encourage and bless people. But Lord, I pray that we would have wisdom, that we would know how to bring the, the, the vision and the mission of your kingdom to people and welcome them home into your kingdom where they will truly become one, where they will truly be healed from their afflictions and from their oppressions. So, Lord, I pray that you would do this. Lord, we thank you today in Squamish. We thank you for two things. We thank you for every dad, every father, every grandfather. Would you bless the fathers in our church family today and in this community at large? Would you bless every father? Would you call every man to be the kind of father that you are towards us? Would, would, would we try, would, would you help us, Holy Spirit, to be the kind of fathers that we're supposed to be? And Lord, I also pray that you would help us here in Squamish today, on this day, to find a way to celebrate, celebrate National Indigenous Peoples Day with Squamish Nation, which the, whose land that we are standing on, their territory, that they are gracious enough to let us be part of and enjoy in this community with them. So I pray that we would do that today and in the days to come. And I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to these things. And I pray this in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.